This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. The Second Vatican Council's New Theology by Luis Sergio Salomeo, Part 2. Luis Sergio Salomeo is a Catholic scholar, teacher, and writer of many books, essays, and articles. In 1960, he joined the Brazilian Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP. He currently teaches philosophy and history at the American TFP. Part 1, which we presented last week, covered the conditions behind the Second Vatican Council. In today's episode of the Return to Order Moment, Mr. Salomeo discusses the actions taken at that council. John XXIII's speech, Godet Mater Ecclesiae, October 11, 1962, was of great importance in creating the quote-unquote spirit of the council, a spirit of abandoning tradition and giving up the fight against the errors of the modern world. No one can better describe what that spirit was than Father Joseph Ratzinger, a theologian who had intense participation in the council's four sessions. He described his impressions in a book published shortly after the conciliar event titled Theological Highlights of Vatican II. About John XXIII's inaugural speech, Father Ratzinger comments about the Pope, quote, disavowed all negative condemnations, unquote, and, quote, the Council was not to engage in scholastic disputation, but should engage in dialogue with the present time, unquote. For Father Ratzinger, quote, The atmosphere of this council was predetermined by the generous spirit of this pope, who in this markedly differed from the Pope Pius IX, who had called Vatican Council one. Unquote. John the Twenty Third, he continues, influenced the council to have quote unquote openness and candor, in a sense very different from the quote anti-modernistic neurosis which had, again and again, crippled the church since the turn of the century, unquote. According to Father Ratzinger at the council, this neurosis seemed to be approaching a cure. Later, commenting on the discussion of the text on the sources of revelation prepared by the Roman Curia, Father Ratzinger criticizes its, quote, anti-modernist mentality marked by the syllabus of Pius IX with excessively one-sided zeal, unquote, an attitude consistent with a mindset that, quote, reached its zenith in the various measures of Pius X against modernism and continued until its last reverberation sounded in the encyclical Humani Generis of Pius XII. This document pursued once more the line of thought of Pius IX and Pius X, unquote. Still, for Father Ratzinger, the big question at the council was to choose between a, quote, intellectual position of anti-modernism that he describes as the old policy of exclusiveness, the fruit of an almost neurotic denial of all that was new, or, on the contrary, changing to a position of positive encounter with the world of today. According to him, the council had resolutely set itself against perpetuating a one-sided anti-modernism and so had chosen a new and positive approach, unquote. Years later, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger expressed his agreement with the council's break with the position of the previous popes, who condemned the errors of the French Revolution, liberalism, and modernism. 
In Principles of Catholic Theology, Cardinal Ratzinger notes the optimism that guided the Council. Referring to the Constitution Gaudium et Spes, he writes, quote, The text, and even more, the deliberations from which it involved, breathe an astonishing optimism. Nothing seems impossible if humanity and church can work together. Unquote. He states that Gaudium et Spes was the fruit of a new position of the Church vis-à-vis the world, proposed by John XXIII in his opening speech. Quote, The affirmation of the present that was sounded in Pope John XXIII's address at the opening of the Council is carried to its logical conclusion. Solidarity with today seems to be the pledge of a new tomorrow. Unquote. Speaking of Gaudium et Spes, he goes on to say, quote, If it is desirable to offer a diagnosis of the text as a whole, we might say that, in conjunction with the texts on religious liberty and world religions, it is a revision of the syllabus of Pius IX, a kind of counter-syllabus, unquote. And in a footnote, he adds, quote, the position taken in the syllabus was adopted and continued in Pius X's struggle against, quote-unquote, modernism, unquote. Cardinal Ratzinger goes on to say that the positions taken by Popes Pius IX and St. Pius X were aimed at the situation of the world arising from the French Revolution. Gaudium et Spes, he says, quote, serves as a counter-syllabus and as such represents, on the part of the Church, an attempt at an official reconciliation with the new era inaugurated in 1789. Unquote. In short, the spirit that dominated the Second Vatican Council and inspired its texts, marked by an astonishing optimism, was a spirit of abandoning the Church's tradition, especially her militant and anti-worldly spirit. This new spirit turned especially against the Council of Trent and the First Vatican Council, as well as the syllabus of Pius IX and the encyclical Pascendi of St. Pius X. It was the same spirit that animated the liberals in the 19th century, the modernists at the beginning of the 20th century, and the Nouvelle Theologie. Vatican II texts are not a series of writings independent from one another and gathered together in a collection. On the contrary, they form a coherent whole with the same inspiration and purpose. They mutually support one another. Many people claim that Vatican II also has traditional statements that counterbalance innovations. However, the former are not set in opposition to the latter to condemn them, they simply, quote-unquote, coexist. For the progressives, two contradictory statements can both be considered true. This is because modern, phenomenological, and existentialist philosophies reject the principle of cause and effect and the principle of non-contradiction. In the encyclical Humani Generis, Pius XII pointed out this dialectical aspect of Nouvelle Theologie's followers, quote, they say reality, especially transcendent reality, cannot better be expressed than by disparate teachings, which mutually complete each other, although they are in a way mutually opposed. Unquote. In the 1989 essay, A Half Century of Ecclesiology, 
Avery Cardinal Dulles, S.J., shows the role played by Father Eve Congar's ecclesiology in the lead-up to the Council. He goes on to say, quote, The ecclesiology of Vatican II, in its main lines, is well known. Generally speaking, it followed the directions of the Nouvelle Theologie rather than those of neo-scholasticism, unquote. Indeed, following the Nouvelle Theologie, the Council abandoned the concept that the Catholic Church is the mystical body of Christ, taught by Popes Leo XIII, Pius XI, and Pius XII. In Humani Generis, his encyclical condemning the Nouvelle Theologie, Pius XII states that his followers reject this truth. Quote, Some say they are not bound by the doctrine, explained in our encyclical letter of a few years ago, Mystici Corporis Christi, 1943, and based on the sources of Revelation, which teaches that the mystical body of Christ and the Roman Catholic Church are one and the same thing. Unquote. The encyclical Mystici Corporis Christi itself reiterates that the mystical body of Christ is the Catholic Church. In paragraph 1, quote, The doctrine of the mystical body of Christ, which is the Church, was first taught us by the Redeemer himself. Unquote. In paragraph 13, quote, if we would define and describe this true Church of Jesus Christ, which is the one holy Catholic, apostolic, and Roman Church, we shall find nothing more noble, more sublime, or more divine than the expression, the mystical body of Christ, unquote. In paragraph 34, quote, this mystical body which is the Church, unquote. The entire encyclical revolves around these two fundamental statements. One, the true Church of Christ is the one holy Catholic, apostolic, and Roman Church. And two, the mystical body of Christ is the Catholic Church. In his 1896 encyclical, Satis Cognitum, paragraph 3, Leo XIII taught that, quote, the mystical body of Christ is the true Church, only because its visible parts draw life and power from the supernatural gifts and other things when spring their very nature and essence, unquote. And in his 1928 encyclical, Mortalium Animos, paragraph 10, Pius XI taught that, quote, for since the mystical body of Christ, in the same manner as his physical body is one, 1 Corinthians 12.12, 12, compacted and fitly joined together, Ephesians 4.16, it were foolish and out of place to say that the mystical body is made up of members which are disunited and scattered abroad. Whosoever, therefore, is not united with the body is no member of it. Neither is he in communion with Christ its head. See Ephesians 5.30 and 1.22, unquote. Now, in the Council's first session in December 1962, the text of the schema on the Church given to the Council Fathers stated, quote, The Roman Catholic Church is the mystical body of Christ, unquote. Several cardinals and bishops of the Nouvelle Theologie current stood up to challenge this statement from Mystici Corporis Christi. 
They claimed that the mystical body of Christ was broader than the Catholic Church, that it also included Protestants. Cardinal Lienart, Bishop of Lille, France, one of the leaders of this current, argued that, quote, the mystical body is much more inclusive than the Roman Church on earth. And what of the separated Christians? I would not dare to say that they in no way belong to the mystical body of Christ, despite their not being incorporated into the Catholic Church. Unquote. Then Cardinal Montini, who would soon be elected Pope, also stood up in support of those who opposed the doctrine taught in Mystici Corporis Christi. The Council Fathers abandoned the tradition and formula of identifying the mystical body of Christ with the Catholic Church on the false premise that the mystical body of Christ was broader than the Catholic Church. This false premise constitutes the basis of ecumenism. Father Bonaventura Kloppenberg, OFM, recalls, quote, After the long debate, the is was replaced by subsists in, so as to be more consonant with the teaching about ecclesial elements to be found elsewhere than in the Roman Church, unquote. In the many debates that followed the Council, philological subtleties were invoked to prove that the Council's quote-unquote continuity with the magisterium's previous teaching. Thus, they found in the verb to subsist the same meaning as the verb to be. Well then, if the meaning was the same, why did they have to change the expression? And why did those demanding the change argued that there was no perfect identity between the Catholic Church and the mystical body of Christ, because the latter also included Protestants? In paragraph 14, the dogmatic constitution Lumen Genitum clearly affirms the need to belong to the Church to be saved. Quote, Whosoever, therefore, knowing that the Catholic Church was made necessary by Christ, would refuse to enter or to remain in it, could not be saved, unquote. However, the very next section, paragraph 15, contradicts this. Referring to those who, quote, do not profess the faith in its entirety or do not preserve unity of communion with the successors of Peter, i.e. heretics and schismatics, Lumen Genitum asserts that the Holy Spirit, quote, is operative among them with his sanctifying power, strengthening many to the extent of the shedding of their blood, unquote. This statement contradicts the Council of Florence, quote, the Council firmly believes, professes, and proclaims that those not living within the Catholic Church, not only pagans but also Jews and heretics and schismatics, cannot become participants in eternal life, but will depart into everlasting fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels, Matthew twenty-five forty-one, unless, before the end of life, the same shall have been added to the flock." Unquote. It also runs counter to what Pius XII teaches in the encyclical Mystici Corporis Christi. Quote, Finally, while by his grace he, the Holy Spirit, provides for the continual growth of the church, he yet refuses to dwell through sanctifying grace in those members that are wholly severed from the body. 
This presence and activity of the Spirit of Jesus Christ is tersely and vigorously described by our predecessor of immortal memory, Leo XIII, in his encyclical letter, Divinum Illud, in these words, quote, Let it suffice to say that as Christ is the head of the church, so is the Holy Spirit her soul, unquote. Indeed, if the Holy Spirit, the church's uncreated soul, were to grant sanctifying grace to those who are in heresy and schism, there would be no need to belong to the Catholic Church to be saved. It is very different from saying that the paraclete grants actual graces to every man, which he does, even to those in paganism, heresy, and schism. He does this so that, by corresponding to them, the non-Catholic may convert and join the Catholic Church and thus be saved. For Lumen Genitum, the Church would be, quote-unquote, related in a special way to the Jews, quote, on account of their fathers, this people remains most dear to God. Jesus would thus participate in the plan of salvation. Unquote. This document also discusses Islam. Quote, but the plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator. In the first place among these, there are the Muslims who, professing to hold the faith of Abraham, along with us adore the one and merciful God, unquote. This claim that Christians and Muslims worship the one God together is yet another manifestation of the dialectical aspect of the conciliar documents, denying the principle of non-contradiction. For while Catholics believe and profess the doctrine of the Most Holy Trinity and worship the one and triune God, Muhammad's followers not only deny this truth, but fight it, accusing Christians of being polytheists. Lumen Genitum goes on to speak of those who seek the quote-unquote unknown God, or those who, with no guilt of their own, have quote, not arrived at an explicit knowledge of God, unquote. That is quote-unquote goodwill atheists. In short, the Catholic Church is allegedly linked to heretics and schismatics, to those who deny the Holy Trinity, to animists, pantheists, and even atheists. Lumen Genitum's doctrine on the Church, completed by Unitatis Redintegratio on ecumenism and Nostra Aete on dialogue with non-Christian religions, did not remain on paper, but was put into practice. One of the many examples of this can be seen in the interreligious gathering at Assisi on October 27, 1986. It saw the presence of 32 Christian and 11 non-Christian groups. Both Christian and pagan prayers were said and ceremonies were held. The same goes for the Abu Dhabi meeting on February 4, 2019. Its Document on Human Fraternity claims that God wills, quote, pluralism, and the diversity of religions, unquote. In addition to the doctrinal issues discussed briefly above, Vatican II differed from previous councils on its insistence in presenting itself as a, quote, unquote, pastoral council. In an ecumenical council, the Pope summons the world's bishops to address the problems of the universal church under his direction and authority. 
It is intrinsic to the nature of such a gathering for it to be an occasion of bishops' extraordinary magisterium. Accordingly, when they manifest the clear intention of defining or condemning a doctrine, ecumenical councils are infallible. Things did not work this way with the Second Vatican Council. At the opening, John XXIII stated that its teaching would be, quote, a magisterium which is predominantly pastoral in character, unquote. And in closing the council, Paul VI declared that in it, quote, the teaching authority of the church has not wished to issue extraordinary dogmatic pronouncements, unquote. Furthermore, in the January 12, 1966 general audience, Paul VI reaffirmed that, quote, given the pastoral character of the council, it avoided pronouncing in an extraordinary way doctrines endowed with the note of infallibility, but it nevertheless endowed its teachings with the authority of the supreme ordinary magisterium, unquote. At another general audience on March 8, 1967, the same pontiff confirmed that the council had, as one of its programmed items, quote, not to issue new dogmatic definitions, unquote. Many of Vatican II's defenders rely on an a priori argument. The Holy Spirit assists councils. Therefore, he could not allow the Second Vatican Council to fall into error. Now, this argument leads to the following absurdity. Since Vatican II abandoned doctrines taught by the Council of Trent and the First Vatican Council, as well as the common teaching of the popes against liberalism, ecumenism, and the principles of Novel Theologie from Gregory XVI to Pius XII, i.e., from 1831 to 1958, then one must conclude that either the paraclete assisted the Second Vatican Council and abstained from helping those earlier two councils and some 120 years of papal magisterium, or vice versa. But the Holy Spirit could not have assisted both in terms of comparison since a quote-unquote spirit of truth, John 14, 17, he cannot contradict himself. Here one confuses assistance by the paraclete, that is, an effect of God's special providence for his church, with a direct government that replaces men or eliminates their free will, or with the tendency to evil inherited with original sin. One must keep in mind that this special action of divine providence favors good, but also often allows evil to occur in the human element of the church as a trial or a punishment for our sins. Therefore, one cannot use the argument of the Holy Spirit's assistance to the Church to justify deviation, recklessness, or scandal, as if the evil were positively desired by the divine will and not merely permissively tolerated. Thus, in his encyclical Mystici Corporis Christi, Pope Pius XII explains that due to our inclination to evil, quote, at times there appears in the church something that indicates the weakness of our human nature. That regrettable inclination to evil, he says, is manifested even at times in the most exalted members of his mystical body, unquote. However, he adds that God allows this to happen, quote, 
for the purpose of testing the virtue of the shepherds no less than of the flocks, and that all may increase the merit of their Christian faith. Unquote. Vatican II chose not to use this infallible magisterial power, and therefore its teachings may contain errors. Divine providence allows error in the non-definitive magisterium, but these errors are then corrected and are not incorporated into the deposit of faith. What, after all, is the nature of Vatican II? To answer this question, we outline here what was presented above. 1. Unlike previous ecumenical councils, the Second Vatican Council did not want to proclaim dogmas or condemn errors. Two. It was presented both by the Pope that convened it and the one that closed it as being, quote, predominantly pastoral in character, unquote. Nevertheless, it was predominantly doctrinal. 3. Although calling itself an ecumenical council, it did not want to use the prerogative of infallibility in theological matters of fundamental doctrinal importance, for example, in the Constitution Lumen Genitum. 4. It was an act of the extraordinary Episcopal Magisterium that had only the authority of the Supreme Ordinary Magisterium. In conclusion, it can be said that the Second Vatican Council is entirely different from previous councils and that its real nature is confusing, as are its texts. This concludes the Second Vatican Council's New Theology by Luis Sergio Salomeo, Part 2. Thank you so much for listening. The original article is extensively footnoted. You can read the article and see the references on www.tfp.org. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. In that way, you can help Return to Order be more effective. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2020 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.